I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Wong Takes coming at you on a Monday. What is this, crazy town? A little bit. Week's kind of hectic. Would prefer not to record tomorrow just because the way it turned out. But you know what that means? That means you get it today right now uh so looks like we're doing it long takes monday here we go uh what else is there to talk about first of course but the nba playoffs uh it's still going on Uh, i kind of forgot where we left off last week but uh let's do some preview talk i mean let's go very excited for the final four of the nba playoffs uh, got a lot of good teams, or they're all good teams, of course. They got this far. So obvious, Alex. Uh, good matchups, I should have said, uh, that more accurately describes what's going on. And uh, why? Uh, it's really your call, uh, but since you can't really do anything because you're just listening, uh, let's get started by talking about the Eastern Conference matchup uh, that's starting to really develop into a good one. Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The The whole discussion coming into this series was the Cavs had just come off a clean sweep of the Raptors. Oh, and also a requiem Dwayne Casey, who may end up being coach of the year despite being fired. Uh, another story for another time. But the Cavs coming off fresh sweep of the Raptors, never looked to be in danger. LeBron is LeBron. So great. Everything. And the question coming into this was... Can the Celtics stop LeBron? Because if you can stop LeBron, you can pretty much halt the offense. Uh, if you can limit his assists and limit his scoring, uh, you're not gonna. Not everyone on the Cavs is able to make their own shot and generate their own offense uh, like LeBron can. So if you can limit him, that's gonna be the story. But if he gets going, then his team gets going, and he finally looks like he has a supporting cast, and the series is over in five. So. To be really careful, that's exactly what Boston did. Uh, the two seed coming in, playing the four seed Cleveland, having home court advantage, of course, that means. And they really took advantage of it in game one, uh, which they won 108 to 83. Uh, this shocked, I think, everyone. I mean, if we were going to see a Boston win in this series, or Boston wins plural in this series, we were expecting a grind it out, uh, play him tough. Uh, not this kind of blowout type thing. And it was a blowout early. Boston got out to what I believe was a 29-9 to lead or something like that. But they pounced on the Cavaliers and they maintained the intensity throughout the game, which is something that we know Boston is capable of, but it's hard to do against this uh, Cleveland team, which, as we know, can get into these, these runs when LeBron starts to find his groove because everything revolves around him. And and we started to kind of see that uh, in the third quarter, which the Cavs won 29-17, but the Celtics were able to hold them off with some runs and showed a resiliency that you need to beat a LeBron-led team, something that not many people have been able to do, and that's very hard to do. Now, how did they stop LeBron? LeBron didn't have the worst game, uh, 15 points, obviously the worst part of his stat line, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, Um, But I think the key number for LeBron was seven turnovers, 
when the offense runs through him, it's important for him to keep the turnover keep the turnovers down, uh, because not only does that prevent or keep uh, him him on the board, but it also prevents the Celtics from getting any runouts. Uh, so, what did the Celtics do? And the answer to that was having multiple players, some of the best defenders in the league being able to take on LeBron, hassle him constantly, never let him really uh, get to his spot, get to where he wants to go. Uh, he, he was tough. He played tough all game. He never was able to develop a groove uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. And as a result, he was held to just 15 points. It's a combination of Marcus Morris, who is one of the best one-on-one defenders in the game, uh, I th- I forgot which stat it is, but I think he's like third in the league after Draymond and Kawhi. Like he's no slouch. He's kind of an underrated guy, and he didn't he didn't do poorly on the offensive end either. Twenty one and ten, so outscoring and out rebounding LeBron. Uh, so Marcus Morris had a phenomenal game, combining that with the swarming abilities of Marcus Smart, uh, who is one of the best defending guards in the league. So you get those two teamed up on LeBron. You're able to put constant pressure on him. That's what you really need uh, in order to stop him, and that's what they were able to do. So they've clearly found a formula for beating LeBron. They're going to need consistent uh, scoring from multiple sources. Uh, Jason Tatum contributed 16 in Game 1. Jalen Brown contributed 23-8. and Uh, Al Horford had 20, and he's going to need to be one of their leading scorers. So it's a combination of all those factors that allowed them to not only beat the Cavs, but embarrass the Cavs. Uh, And that's something we definitely, I don't think, saw coming. Uh, Going forward, yeah, so the Celtics have one more game at TD Garden. And if they can win that and really establish that they have a home court, because the, the Celtics have home court in this series, like, uh, they, if they can win, if they can handle business at home, they will win this series. Uh, so if they can establish that, they have established that early on, but if they can keep it, keep it up, uh, that's a, a nice way to beat the Cavaliers. Plus, if you can steal one on the road, of course you put them in a humongous hole. So the next game is going to be crucial because uh, it was just one game. If the Cavs are able to come back and win game two, uh, then that's the Cavs are just going to take home court advantage right away and, and, and be in position to win the series. So game two is going to be crucial. Uh, to determine the rest. It might be the one that decides this series uh, if, if neither team is really careful. Okay, the next uh, series, there's only two to talk about, I guess. Uh, Houston and Golden State. Ooh, y'all ready for this? Uh, big, big, big series. Lots and lots of fun. Uh, this one's going to be. Houston uh, comes in having the best record in the West. Uh, and taking the one seed from the Golden State, who had for the last couple of years, and in come the Golden State Warriors. Uh, both of the both teams have gone eight and two in the playoffs so far. The Warriors taking care of the Spurs in five, and this, the the uh, Pelicans in five, and the Rockets taking the Timberwolves in five, and the Jazz in five. Neither team really looked to be in any major danger. Uh, Houston uh, did lose one at home against Utah. Uh, the Warriors are undefeated at home so far. Uh, but this is an interesting matchup for so many reasons. Uh, of course, you have to start with the three-point shooting that both teams can provide. Uh, Houston, having so many players that can beat you on the outside. Harden, 
Uh, Chris Paul, who had a career playoff game the other night. Uh, Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon. Oh, speaking of those players, uh, I found an interesting article if you wanted to check it out. Uh, just Google like NBA Chinese nicknames, something like that. There's a great thread. Uh, you know, I, I should actually uh, credit the guy who, who wrote it. Uh, give me a second. But either way, yeah, you have all these guys that can beat you from the outside. And when you have that, it's tough to keep them. Nick Kapoor. Nick Kapoor, check him out on Twitter. Um, it's tough to hold them to four losses in seven games. But it's the exact same thing with the Golden State Warriors. I mean, do we have to keep saying it? Like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, uh, Clay Thompson. And then Andre Iguodala, Pat McCaw, who's starting to make a comeback. All these guys can destroy you from the outside. Plus, you have to combine that with the defensive abilities that is really going to separate this series from series prior, where it was just a three-point shoot-off. These now are both legitimate defensive teams. The Rockets acquiring Quint, or not acquiring, but developing Quint Capella, who is just a stopper and can and can play and defend anyone uh, I don't I don't know uh, if there's a better rim protector all-around defender on a better team right now uh, going against the jello defense of the Golden State Warriors uh, anchored by Draymond Green at, at the power forward slash center position uh, these are two teams that can defend with the best of them and that can shoot uh, with the best of them so I'm excited who isn't excited uh, this matchup is probably going to come down to who can play defense at crucial times because we know both of these teams can shoot. They're both going to live by the three and die by the three. Uh, but at the end of the day, if one team can develop a defensive identity that that prevents the other team from really getting on runs uh, and, and settling into their schemes, it, it's going to be tough uh, to beat that team. Uh, the Warriors can do that if they can guard the three-point line well if they can constantly be contesting and limiting because the Rockets are going to get on runs. They're going to take a game just because they have a humongous run. But if they can prevent it from happening again and again and again, that's how the Warriors can win this series. The Rockets are going to win this series. Combination of the Warriors having an off night um, and just swarming defense because the Warriors are great when they get out in space, um, but when they are locked into a... Um, into a half-court offense, they're still effective, but they're just not nearly as effective as when they can run it around. So if the Rockets can get them locked up um, and, and really play tight defense against guys like Steph Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, uh, and and you're gonna have and the key factor is also in that type of scheme is gonna end up being the Rockets' size. I mean, Kevin Durant, he's like what six feet ten or whatever. There are not many guys who can guard him in the league. I mean, and if they can. Uh, he just shoots over them if they're guards, and he uh, and he uh, just drives by them if they're centers. So guys like Trevor Ariza, who stands six eight, and, and we know is a pretty decent defender, if he's going to be able to stand up to Kevin Durant and limit him to maybe have an off night, and then Steph Curry, I mean James Harden's going to have to play some defense this series, uh, and, and that type of deal. So that's what's going to make this series uh, what it is. It's going to be an electric environment in in the Toyota Center in Houston where games one and two are going to be held. I think the Warriors are going to have to steal a game there if they want to take the series. Uh, and of course, it's always a raucous environment at Oracle Arena where the Warriors play. Uh, what else is there to talk about? You know, 
it, it's just so exciting that we finally get to see this. I mean, everyone counted the Celtics out after Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving went down, but they've shown a kind of grit that we don't typically or that we don't expect to see, uh, even though, of course, we should expect it from a Brad Stevens-led team who, if you include the playoffs, is definitely coach of the year. But but it's going to... Just going up against the intimidation of LeBron is not something to ignore, uh, straight up. I mean, just look at the Toronto Raptors, who have lost 10 straight games to Cleveland. Uh, look at Indiana, who was able to take on the challenge but still lost Game 7. Uh, if Boston's going to want to finish this thing off, it's going to be like it's that last little push. I mean, so many teams come so close to beating Cleveland. Um, or not so many teams, but some teams have come so close to beating Cleveland the last couple of years. and Cleveland. A LeBron James-led team has not lost a series that wasn't the finals in like eight years. So even if Boston gets this to 3-1 or 3-2, uh, it, it's going to be very hard to finish off Cleveland just because of the reserves that LeBron can tap into uh, and just how good he is. And if it weren't for this Boston team in the finals, I might say that the Western Conference Finals is the de facto NBA Finals. But, I mean, the strength that Boston has shown is something you don't, or something that really makes you question that type of mindset. Uh, meanwhile, in the West, this was the series that we had all been waiting for. I mean, these teams were clearly on a crash course. They marched their way uh, through the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, and they're, it's finally here. The series tips off at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern uh, tonight in Houston. And it's, it's just going to be so electric with the fans, great fans for both of them. Uh, and the shots that are going to be taken, like we might, we're probably going to break the record for number of threes in a playoff game or a playoff series, uh, especially if one of these teams gets in a groove and starts jacking them up. Uh, the Rockets want to take 53s a game, and honestly, I don't see why not. Uh, and the Warriors have started to shift away from just shooting threes all the time. But look, hey, if the Rockets take 53s, the Warriors might end up taking 53s. It's also a matchup of great coaches. Uh, you've got, or they're all great coaches. I mean, Ty Lue has really yet to prove himself with an untested roster. But Brad Stevens leading Boston, we've already talked about him. Steve Kerr with the Warriors, what a job he's done since he took over from Mark Jackson. Uh, and he's developed this team into the juggernaut it is now, Larry Kevin Durant, etc. And then Mike D'Antoni had uh, a good team in, in Phoenix a decade and a half ago, a couple decades ago. Uh, kind of had a rumbling stretch, and now he's back with a juggernaut uh, in Houston. So great coaches, great players. Um, these matchups will really be something to behold. I cannot wait to get this one going. So I talked for 15 minutes about the NBA today, less time than I have been doing. Uh, part of that is just because, you know, there are less series to talk about uh, with well, we're getting down to the Western Conference Finals. But also because a big topic, a big, big, big topic emerged this morning. And that was that sports betting is now legal. Uh, on Monday, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled 7-2 to that the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992, which prevented states from legalizing sports betting due to its you know, various concerns, uh, that this was a violation of the Tenth Amendment, which gives all power to states, those not uh, by default given to the federal government, basically saying uh, the states have a right to decide whether or not they want to legalize gambling. So what does this mean in the short term and in the long term? Well, as I said, the law before said that 
Uh, other than a few states that were grandfathered in, I think there's like Oregon and Montana and like certain parts of Nevada. I think we all know what certain parts of Nevada means, uh, Las Vegas. But either way, uh, no other state could decide to legalize gambling. And the Supreme Court ruled today that this was an overreach of federal power, that states should be able to take it for themselves and figure out what they want to do. The immediate cause of this decision was a Supreme Court case and also New Jersey, which has been pressing to get sports, sports gambling legalized uh, for a long time. And it's going to happen within a few months now uh, with this ruling being struck down. Or sorry, being, being made. Um, as far as the consumer side, so the nature of this means that gambling is not legalized right away. What happens now is individual states that want to pursue uh, sports gambling, like New Jersey, uh, like Connecticut, these states can develop their own laws and their own systems. It's a lot like uh, the state lottery, where you, it's not like, like the federal, there's no federal law saying states cannot hold a lottery. States decide for themselves the specific terms of their lotteries and if they actually want to have one at all. Uh, and that's what states are going to be able to do as a result of this ruling that was just handed down this morning. Uh, sports gambling is interesting because this, it's kind of like prohibition. I mean, despite it being illegal, there's clearly a market for sports gambling, uh, one that gets talked about a lot. I mean, what's the first thing we do when we see like a big mega fight or the Super Bowl? We look at odds. We look at prop bets. Uh, we look at where the money is being put down. Uh, and that's a place in our society that's now being exposed. Uh, in fact, one number that's particularly stunning, uh, approximately $10 billion, most of it illegal, uh, was wagered on March Madness this year, that number courtesy of CBS Sports. And the, that number is like half of our national debt. I mean, most the fact that most of this betting happened illegally just demonstrates what many states, and I think this is what proponents of gambling see in it, is what these institutions stand to gain from like taxing these gamblers, taking a cut uh, of these gambling dollars. Uh, that's the leagues, that's the NBA and the MLB, those are the states like Nevada, like Connecticut, like New Jersey. Uh, and they're also partly perhaps teams themselves, although that might make a little conflict of interest. But if it's pulled out evenly, I mean, you have a system that benefits everyone. Uh, sports gambling has a place in America, and now it's really coming out for everybody to see and to embrace if they want to. It's also pretty popular. I mean, in popular culture, I talked about the odds already, but like one, one segment that I watch that a lot of people watch and discuss freely on the interwebs is Scott Van Pelt's Bad Beats, uh, which talk about events that uh, where the game, even though the game itself may not have been close, I mean, the gambling was the gambling line was close, the odds makers put a pretty close line, and then something happened, and it's a nice little entertaining, innocent way, which up until this point was illegal in, in, many, in most uh, jurisdictions in the United States. But now, uh, this will be able to flourish, and I think that's good. It, like legalizing anything, it will cause some kind of normalization or mainstreamization or gentrification that perhaps diehards may not want, 
But at the end of the day, it's good that no, these things no longer have to happen illegally. Uh, that these things can be out in the open and that these things can uh, be taken in by those who want it without fear of retribution or fear of harassment or fear of, of attack. And I think at the end of the day, uh, of course, it's a very controversial topic. I mean, I'm kind of reacting to this off the top of my head just because it happened so, so little time ago. Uh, but I think based on all the numbers of how big sports gambling is in the United States and given the size of the market for this type of activity and the shadiness of doing this illegally and the extent to which some people go to get these services, they like go and live in Nevada, uh, I think just having the, this opportunity available to people is going to end up being good in the long term because it will open up a, it will open this up and it will open up the opportunity for leagues like leagues like the NBA and I think the MLB as well already kind of on board with this whole sports gambling thing because they know they understand those are pretty progressive leagues they understand what that can bring uh, this also will of course stir controversy like Pete Rose who was banned for life from like basically everything it seems uh, for gambling and of course you don't want people gambling on their own games uh, of course that's a bad thing I heard the uh, black sock years pass but uh, either way I don't think many people are going to be overreaching these rules just because of sports gambling being legalized I mean we forget but like right now it's still illegal in most places and over time as it starts being normalized and more legal I, I and as as you start to see more regulations on these, I think you'll see a safer industry. Uh, I don't think mob bosses will be running all over the place. I think it's a better move for everyone going on. Last major topic of the day, uh, and it's kind of an obscure one, but I feel it is worth talking about. Mr. Wayne Rooney, the famous English footballer, is going to MLS. He agreed to a deal in principle to leave his boyhood club Everton in the United Kingdom and join England or American side DC United on Thursday. Interesting move for multiple reasons, but first let's just talk about him. He's had an illustrious career in the Premier League. He scored over 200 goals and has over 100 assists in a 16-year career there. Uh, not many players are able to do that. He has five Premier League titles with Manchester United and a Champions League victory. Uh, he's won a lot. He, however, has struggled recently. Uh, he hasn't scored in, the, in league play since December, and he's had disagreements with his staff. Uh, he's not, obviously, the player he used to be, but he's still a solid player, and he leads the team in goals. So this move uh, kind of intrigues me. Because I know it's, it's to grab him, but DC United is last in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, they've, for a while, been in the cellar. Um, they haven't won the MLS Cup since 2004. Uh, so this is not a team that... This is not like these Latan Ibrahimovic to Galaxy move, whereas you have already a really popular rising or popular team with stars on it. This is a kind of face of a franchise type deal. It almost reminds me of the Bastion Schweinsteiger move from last year, which was kind of meant to revitalize the Chicago Fire. And they're still not really uh, reigning supreme yet. 
they're seventh in the Eastern Conference out of 11, soon to be 12. So, I mean, they're not tearing it up now. But I think it did bring some attention to the team and start to revitalize a little bit. Combine that for DC United with the fact that they have a new stadium opening for next year. Uh, so this move is probably time to coincide with this new stadium opening because uh, check, like DC United's attendance is not horrible despite they're not being that good. But the stadium often looks like half or three quarters empty just because the attendance has been shrunk for soccer purposes. Uh, now getting a new stadium that's 20,000 that's going to be filled with 20,000 or should be with this move especially, which is why I think part of the reason it was made. Uh, but you have, now that you can fill it, you can bring attention to it. Uh, and it wouldn't hurt to boost attendance as you go into a new stadium. Um, I also think just like looking up on like, you know, MLS expansion and all that. It, MLS, it, it really seems like a bubble. I mean, just having this new rapid expansion where you have two teams coming into the league every year for the foreseeable future. Uh, I mean, to what point, like you have your investors that are all buying into this. But in order for this to be successful, at the end of the day, this is a soccer product. And the product on the field is going to have to be good. And you can develop young stars a little bit, but they're going to need performances right now because the league is going to struggle if they can't get a consistent fan base out of not just the, the live attendance, which is what a lot of people point to when they talk about the popularity of MLS with teams like Atlanta uh, and LAFC where you have big fans that are dedicated and come out to every game, but also the TV viewership, which is not incredibly high. Uh, and it still trails way behind those of the MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL, which are the big four. Uh, and if it wants to become a big five, that, that key for MLS is going to have to be TV viewership, which is not something they've got right now. Um, so I don't know. These moves are not really going to do it. I mean, players or people understand the whole DP thing. Like, they're not attracted by the big names anymore. They want to see a good product. Um, and speaking of those young stars, like, no matter how many young stars MLS is able to develop, uh, moves like this are always going to take some of the spotlight, like like Zlatan's move to Galaxy. Uh, it, it's some it's the MLS has to try to strike a balance between what they want as an identity. I mean, of, of course they want to have young people uh, coming up and joining MLS. We've got a few South American guys to be able to do that, but how are they going to balance that with their traditional reputation and the possible? Uh, strengths that designated players can bring that are old and or almost nearing retirement coming over from Europe. I don't know what MLS wants from it. Uh, it's going to be tricky seeing how they manage it, but it's, it's an interesting time for Major League Soccer and soccer in America as a whole. Next is the quick take. I'm not stalling. I'm not stalling. Okay. Um, yeah, so Brad Stevens has gotten a lot of praise, including from me, including from most people in sports. And he says his recent praise is uncomfortable and credits the Celtics players. Classic thing to say from a coach, and I think this only cements his reputation as one of the good guys in this game. He's not only uh, a good coach uh, lifting his team from what 25-57 his first year to where they are now, but he's the whole organization has gotten a good run. I mean Danny Ainge has brought in some great players. The backbone of this team is young and drafted. Jason Tatum, uh, 
Jalen Brown. Actually, really, it's just those guys. But, like, Al Horford bringing him in was not a small deal. Uh, Marcus Morris developing him, him in from a journeyman player to a a real, not only defensive stalwart, but a guy who can get you buckets on the offensive end, too. Uh, this whole organization has done a great job. And Brad Stevens is right. A lot of it goes to the players, but a lot of it goes to him as well. Uh, and this 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 series is going to be a lot of fun to watch with them and the Cavs. Thank you so much for listening. Our first Monday edition in a long, long time. Uh, don't forget to do everything. Website, bit.ly slash longtakes. Patreon.com slash longtakes. Longtakes at gmail.com. Send questions whenever you can. Uh, rate the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, same thing as Google Play. You know what the deal is. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, send questions, send voicemails, whatever. And I will see you next week.